Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. And as me with a slightly different and pretty bad transatlantic accent just said, this is Rossafari Zoo News. And uh, yeah, we're going to be bringing you news from the worlds of zoos and conservation. Uh, We're excited to have you back for another week. And um, yeah, just a quick reminder, this is a partially crowdsourced newscast, meaning that if you see a zoo, conservation, or other animal news type story, you can go ahead and tag me in it at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, or you can DM it to me or email it to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And uh, if you do that, I will put your name in the end credits, assuming that I remember to. Uh, yeah, so that's how this works. And um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to have y'all here for it. I got to tell you guys, I have been having an interesting week. I got an offer for a gig that is really something different and special and kind of cool. And um, I can't really share about it all the way, but uh, also, to be honest with you, I'm not going to do it. Isn't that weird? Life is weird sometimes. I've been thinking about this basically nothing but this the last couple of days. Um, I got this incredible offer to help develop something new and cool. I was asked for by name from people who matter in my world. And um, other things are just happening in my life. And I, I, I'm not going to take that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you all... Um, That's a weird, weird feeling. But also, I think it's worth mentioning because I think we all need to remember that um, sometimes just because something looks amazing doesn't mean that it's the best, perfect, right thing for you. And uh, I'm struggling to remember that and deal with that right now in my own brain. But, uh, But I know that it's right, and that's what matters. And I guess I'm only sharing that with you all because... um, I don't know. I try to use these intros to these podcasts to be real and and share more about myself. And uh, so far, a lot of that has just been sharing cool stories or or fun stuff. And this is a cool story, but um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to be going through it right now and figuring out what I need to do and what's best for me. And and I guess I just thought if any of you all are listening and and having something like that where you're you're a little conflicted and a little confused. Just remember that sometimes the bravest thing to do is to not make a move. If it's not the right time and not the right place and not the right circumstances. Um, it, it took me days to come to terms with that this week. And I've talked to a lot of people who mean a lot to me in order to, to help me realize that. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I hope that helps someone who's listening with a decision that they might have to make. But anyway, enough about me. Y'all, 
We've got some really funky news coming up for you. And uh, first, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so uh, without further ado, here is a song leading into Zoo News. Woo! One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's Zoo News, yeah. Last Saturday, a bunch of zoos decided to get together and feature the enrichment work that they do with their animals by adding extra enrichment into the animals and featuring the results on social media. Obviously, we all know that enrichment is a big part of the lives of animals at zoos, but uh, the lay people, the general public, the non-Rossifarians, if you will, uh, tend to not know that. And so these zoos all came together to spread the message of the amazing enrichment work that keepers do. Heck, I even learned something. I've often thought that when you see something like a ball in with a red panda who clearly doesn't like the ball or care about the ball or because I know a lot of the pandas in question, I know we'll never play with the ball. I always thought that it was just throwing it in there to give them options and to change up their environment, but also a little cynically in my brain to um, make people walking by think, oh, look, that panda has a ball. See, it's well taken care of. Turns out that a lot of times zookeepers will use scent enrichment, which animals, including red pandas, can love, to... Uh, to, to enrich their lives, and we'll put that scent enrichment on something like a ball. So you may actually see an animal with something that you think, oh, they would never use, but it's being used in a creative way by the amazing zookeeper who put it there. One thing that I really loved about Enrichment Day was seeing that there was a lot of transparency from the various zoos. Uh, they really talked a lot about how enrichment schedules change and how different animals need different amounts of enrichment and what kind of enrichment they give. And I just dug it. Yay, zoo transparency and yay, animal enrichment. And speaking of cool things that zoos can do, uh, the Maryland Zoo in Baltimore is opening the old section of their zoo next week to the public. Don't worry, they're not putting a bunch of new animals into old enclosures that aren't good enough anymore. Uh, it's, it's actually like a museum to show what the zoo used to look like back in the day. Now, normally those structures are demolished and, you know, gotten rid of and replaced with new ones. But because the Maryland Zoo at Baltimore has a lot of room, they haven't demolished that section yet. 
And now you can go back and look at a history of what zoos used to be like in America. Now, you've heard me say on this podcast before that this podcast would not exist if zoos hadn't drastically changed how they do their work, how they keep their animals, all that good stuff. And uh, I've mentioned before certain things like when I went to the Brandywine Zoo in Delaware and the director showed me how the cages that like now house small animals used to house, you know, tigers. So if you get the chance to go and check it out or if you go and, and see photos of it or anything like that, um, you may be in for a, a bit of a shock. But remember, that just shows how much growth has happened and how much the focus on animal welfare and conservation and even things like enrichment, like we were just talking about, have really made these good zoos amazing places. I can't wait to go and check this out, y'all. Now, as I've mentioned before on Zoo News, the big cats at the National Zoo, the Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington, D.C., have all contracted COVID. So this is a quick update on that, which is to say that there's not much of an update. They're still battling the disease. Some of the cats are refusing to eat at all and are being offered things like baby food and broth. Um... So far, this is one of those no news is good news things, but as we've seen from other zoos in the world, the Delta variant can really cause some trouble. Now, we don't 100% know that this is the Delta variant, but it is most likely that. The other interesting thing about this is that the zoo performed contact tracing to try to figure out which employee may have infected the cats. Now, to be clear, this was just in an effort to figure this out. All of the employees are vaccinated, are wearing masks and proper PPE, and doing everything they can to keep their charges safe. Sadly, however, the contact tracing was inconclusive, and so they're still not entirely sure exactly how these lions and tigers got the disease. Hopefully, this is the last update other than for me saying, everyone's better, yay! But uh, until then, we'll keep our eyes on the situation. And hey, let this serve as a reminder to you all, especially if you're going to zoos or, you know, seeing humans, you should be vaccinated if you're able to be. Thank you. Actually, did you see that certain people can get boosters now? I am going to try to get a booster. I'm really excited about it. Booster, booster, booster. So vaccinate and boost yourself, y'all. Hey, y'all, just uh, wanted to duck in here real quick. Sorry if this sounds a little different or weird, but um, I had just finished the episode. Everything's already uploaded to go out to you all. And then I found out that all of the lions at the Akron Zoo have also contracted COVID. So uh, I wanted to get that in here since we're talking about cats and COVID. It really sucks. Uh, so far, everyone is doing well. They haven't lost anyone or anything. Um, and they do have the vaccine that they're going to start uh, administering to the cats there. Again, that's a zoonotic vaccine. It's not the same vaccine that humans get. But uh, yeah, this is this is a problem. Y'all, COVID is real and it's still happening. And I know we like to pretend that it's not, but um, now it's having an effect on animals as well as humans. So uh, all the things I said last night when I recorded this about getting your booster and all that stuff, yeah, do it. Okay, thanks. So here's a cute story. Recently, a young grizzly cub was found wandering alone in an Alaskan neighborhood. 
Now, normally, cubs will spend up to three years with their mothers, and uh, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game figured that this grizzly cub would not survive on its own. At the same time, the Detroit Zoo had a hand-reared polar bear cub that was clearly lonely and in need of a companion. So, the grizzly cub was brought to the Detroit Zoo and gradually introduced to the polar bear cub. And they now do nearly everything together. Running, playing, wrestling, rolling around, and lots of typical bear behaviors. This is such an adorable story, and you can go to at Detroit Zoo on Instagram to see pictures of these little goobers, but it just it just warms my heart. It's just such a cute story. And, you know, despite the fact that they are different species of bears, uh, grizzlies and polar bears do interact. As a matter of fact, sometimes they even breed, creating an incredibly rare animal called a pizzly. Hey, I didn't name it. Although, to be fair, that's that's probably what I would have named it. As a matter of fact, if you remember way back to early season one and my interview with Dr. Stephen Wallace, the paleontologist, he predicts that in the future, we won't so much lose polar bears as they will be forced more and more south and start breeding with more and more grizzlies until pizzlies become the main type of thing that we have instead of a true polar bear. Interesting random fact, but uh, I, that one's always stuck with me from that interview. Anyway, make sure you check out the social media of the Detroit Zoo. And if you have a chance to get to Detroit, go and see these two adorable best friends. An antelope that can only be found at one zoo has recently given birth to a calf. Biopark Valencia in Spain is the only place where you can find captive natal red dikers, which is an antelope species. On Tuesday, September 28th, one of the female red dikers at the zoo gave birth to a calf right on exhibit. The public actually got to witness all of this, including the actual birth, the mother eating the placenta, and the baby first stimulating lactation. Given that antelope tend to try to do things out of view because they are a prey species, this is really an amazing opportunity for the people that were there to see and document it, especially given that it is one of the rarest species in captivity. Congrats to everyone at Biopark Valencia, including the people that got to witness this amazing, amazing birth. Oh, and also, I just have to laugh a little bit because I can guarantee you, guarantee you, that at least one family walked up, paying no attention to what was actually happening, and said, oh, it's just some deer, whatever, and walked off, not realizing that they could have been witnessing one of the most amazing historic things to happen at a zoo. Which is why I always say, make sure you spend more than the average of 17 seconds at an exhibit, y'all. The Milwaukee County Zoo has announced the death of Snow Lily, the oldest captive polar bear in North America. Snow Lily was 36 years old at the time of her passing. 36 years old. For comparison, the median life expectancy of a polar bear in captivity is around 23 and a half years. 
And Snow Lily was not just old, but she was a star. One of the things that she used to love doing was bouncing a big red ball off the ground at the bottom of her pool. Snow Lily, you will be missed. On a unrelated to zoo news development, I just wanted to let you know that as I'm recording this, my puppy Lexi has been completely and ridiculously needy. So I picked her up and was holding her on my lap as I started recording the last couple stories. Wasn't good enough. She is now literally face to face with me as I cuddle her with both arms while attempting to extemporaneously speak on these stories that I'm reporting to you and also properly record all of this. Just wanted to give you a nice mental image so you could get a little giggle at, at what my life is sometimes. But I love you, Lexi. Yes, I do. Oh, she's looking at my nose. Oh, it's so good. And finally in Zoo News this week, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, also known as the AZA or AZA in other countries, has announced the swearing-in of Dr. Brian Davis, president and CEO of Georgia Aquarium, as the new chair of the AZA Board of Directors. Brian is the first black chair of the AZA. In his role as president and CEO of the Georgia Aquarium, Davis is entirely responsible for the day-to-day running of that incredible facility. He will not be leaving the aquarium, but will be taking on this new position at the AZA in addition to his duties at the aquarium. I know that all of us here at Rossafari, which right now is me and Lexi, um, wish him nothing but the best of luck. And now, stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. The United States is set to declare 23 species, including ivory-billed woodpeckers, as officially extinct. Now, this sounds bad because it is bad. But it's also not quite as bad as it seems. You see, the 23 species now proposed for delisting to extinction comprise a fruit bat, 11 different bird species, 8 freshwater mussel species, 2 types of fish, and a flowering plant in the mint family. So already we don't care about one of those because plants, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I know that full ecosystem health is important to the salvation of all endangered species and the continued not extinction of other species. The reason I say it's not quite as bad as it seems is that even though this is a true tragedy, some of these species have been listed as endangered despite not being seen for a long time. For instance, the ivory-billed woodpecker, known to bird watchers as the Lord God Bird, was America's largest woodpecker, but has not been seen since 1944. So even though it hasn't been declared extinct officially, no one has seen one since uh, before World War II ended. Yeah. Of course, let's be clear here. Scientists keep warning that human-caused climate change and habitat destruction will make disappearances like this more common. So yeah, this is, this is disappointing news, but it's also kind of just, you know, paperwork, filing to make it official. We, we haven't seen these guys in a long, long time. So sad news, sobering news. But also not as bad as it seems from just the headline, which, uh, which is a nice little reminder to not just read headlines. 
Y'all, I barely even know where to begin with this next story, but it's hilarious. So, y'all know who John Oliver is, right? He hosts a show on HBO now and used to work for The Daily Show and also uh, was a guest star on the show Community for many years. And that's one of my favorite comedies of all time. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I love it. Anyway, John Oliver recently introduced his audience to the federal duck stamp, as we all call it, because we all talk about this all the time. No, but as it's colloquially known, uh, what is officially the federal migratory bird hunting and conservation stamp. Basically, this is a stamp that is sold by the federal government that has raised a lot of money, over $1.1 billion for duck habitat conservation over the years. If you want to hunt ducks, you have to be in possession of a duck stamp in order to do so. But people also collect them and, you know, use them for other duck stamp things. Anyway, part of the fun that surrounds the duck stamp, but I mean, could you even imagine there being more fun than there being a duck stamp? Is the fact that there is a contest every year to pick the art for the duck stamp. And John Oliver had his team commission five potential duck stamps from different artists. Now, they're hilarious, y'all. If you want to see them and you want to see them, go to bestduckingstamps.com. Yep, bestduckingstamps.com. For once, that typo that we all make and never gets autocorrected will actually be correct. Anyway, at this website, you can see the five paintings that were commissioned by the show, and they are hilarious and adorable. And yes, in case you're wondering, one of them is absolutely a play off of the video game Duck Hunt that used to exist on the original Nintendo system. Now... Here's the beauty of this story. John Oliver, when he does these bits, he commits, but not just to the humor, but also to having a good cause behind them. And as such, despite the fact that none of them got a single vote from the judges, all five original paintings are now being auctioned off through eBay charity. You can click the link at the website I previously gave you. And uh, all of the money is going to go to conservation efforts. So far, as I am recording this on Tuesday night? Nope, Wednesday night? Yep, I guess technically it's Thursday morning now. I'm really bad with knowing what day it is, y'all. Anyway, it's now just after midnight on Thursday, September 30th. And let's see here. The five paintings are currently looking at bids of $15,200. even, and $17,500. That's right, y'all. John Oliver is going to raise some serious money for conservation with this little stunt. And it's hilarious. Win, 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 y'all. Oh, and speaking of positive news for conservation, uh, the Red Panda Network, who you may have heard about on here once or twice, an episode, for every episode, always. Anyway, the Red Panda Network has announced the first photographic evidence of red pandas in the Rakum district in western Nepal. 
The photo, which was taken by Man Bahador, one of the forest guardians with Red Panda Network in Nepal, uh, shows an adorable red panda in an area where they were previously thought to have abandoned. This is concrete proof that the conservation work and the trees being grown, creating forest corridors throughout Nepal by Red Panda Network is working. This brings me so much joy. And on a side note, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but y'all, I'm an Apple geek, okay? I am recording this podcast on a MacBook Pro. I have the articles up on my iPhone and I am tracking the order of all of it on my iPad. I am that guy. And also, if I wasn't using professional wired in-ear monitors to do this, 100% would be using my AirPod Pros. I mean, come on. But I'm now considering switching to the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 phone. Okay, I'm not really. But if you see ads for that phone, you should definitely look at them because they feature a series of really adorable pictures of red pandas. I can honestly say I have never had an ad speak to me more than that phone ad. Uh, but but Apple has my heart and actually uh, inserted a chip in me. And if I switch now, uh, they'll shut me off. So uh, yay, Apple. Can't wait to get my new iPhone 13 Pro Max. I just wish they would put red pandas in their ads. Anyway, I'm a goof. Moving on. In other news. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania has officially made it illegal to declaw cats. This is really good news. I don't know if y'all know this. I assume so, but if not, um, declawing cats is really, really, really bad for the cat. It is just very painful. A lot of cats end up getting surrendered because they never get over the pain from being declawed. A lot of cats are very mistrustful of humans after being declawed. It's bad. In fact, it's so bad that there are multiple nonprofits in the country that exist specifically to help end the practice of declawing cats. One of these is known as the Paw Project, based out of California and run by Jennifer Conrad, a veterinarian, who actually came to Pittsburgh and spoke to the town council about making declawing illegal. The city council in Pittsburgh was swayed and declawing cats has officially been banned in the city. Hopefully this victory just becomes one of many soon in this incredible cause. So, you all know what a cassowary is, right? They are called the world's most dangerous bird. They look like dinosaurs. And uh, if you listened to Ren Howell's episode, you know that the male cassowary at Wildlife Sydney Zoo is named Princess. But despite that last bit, they can be kind of terrifying. Huge modern dinosaurs and uh, big toes, big beaks, just, yeah, kind of kill birds. Just, yeah. Anyway, a new study of more than 1,000 fossilized eggshell fragments that were excavated from two rock shelters used by hunter-gatherers in New Guinea suggests that early humans may have actually collected the eggs of them before they hatched and then raised the chicks to adulthood and had domesticated cassowaries. And y'all, we're talking 18,000 years ago, before we had domesticated chickens. I'm just going to leave it at that. 
And finally, in other news this week, a herd of goats that was brought into an upscale Atlanta neighborhood to clear weeds got loose and started wandering around the neighborhood and the rest of the town, including hanging out in front of a furniture shop. The goats were eventually captured and no animals nor humans were harmed, but uh, I just wanted to leave you with that amazing mental image. Also, this story was shared with me by my buddy Liz Dunlevy, specifically in response to my story of getting headbutted in the junk by a goat in Tuesday's episode from the Brevard Zoo. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, now you know that you can hear that amazing story at the end of it. So, you know, go download it and check it out. And hey, Liz, thank you so much for thinking of me with this story question mark animal 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 holidays animal 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 holidays all right y'all so if you didn't realize it we are now in a new month the month of october october is bat appreciation month adopt a shelter dog month and I thought there was a third one on here, but there's not. Oh, well, okay. That's a, that's a little insight into how well I prepare for some of these things. Y'all, I used to be on um, speech team in high school because that's how cool I am. And I did extemporaneous speaking, and that is exactly the vibe that I bring to this show. Basically, I'd have a half hour to come up with a seven-minute speech on a topic that I didn't know beforehand, and then I would spit it out and hope for the best. Made it to States every year, so I was pretty good at BSing my way through it, and um, I've turned that skill into this podcast. Forensics, by the way, which is speech and debate, is also where I met Liz Dunlevy, who uh, sent me the goat story, because I got hit in the junk by a goat. So... Yeah, she also gives me crap all the time for not mentioning speech team on the podcast. So uh, there you go, Liz. Now I have. You're welcome. Anyway, y'all, there are no specific weeks for this week, but we do have a bunch of days. And this is another one of those weeks where like all the animal things land on the same day, which I just I don't get why we don't spread these out better. Anyway, though, to start on Friday, October 1st, it is International Raccoon Appreciation Day. I love me some raccoons. I also love saying raccoon and raccoon because I find that entertaining. So whether you call them raccoons or raccoons or trash pandas, because they're totally trash pandas, make sure that you appreciate them, both domestic and foreign, since it is International Raccoon Appreciation Day on Friday, October 1st. Then we will move on to... Sunday, October 3rd, which is National Butterfly and Hummingbird Day. One day, one title for hummingbirds and butterflies, which I guess makes sense. They're both little flappy things. And then we get to Monday, October 4th, which is World Habitat Day, International Zookeeper Day, and World Animal Day. And then nothing for the rest of the week. So I don't really know why we couldn't divvy those up a little bit, but hey, whatever. Those are your animal holidays for the week.
Welp, there you have it, folks. Again, you can be a part of this by uh, tagging me in stories at Rossafari on all the social medias except for TikTok, where it's at Rossafari Pod, sending me DMs with stories, or emailing me stories, uh, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And then you'll get to hear your name right here. For instance, I'd like to thank this week Danny Poirier Larson, Michael Sebastian, Liz Dunlevy, who has been mentioned in this episode way too many times, Renee Howell, Colleen Lenahan, and Kim Cooley. And also, as always, I want to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, PJ Bevan and Lara Shank. And remember, y'all, newsy credits backwards is Stiderk. Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.